Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today with Jamie Cooper, I'm talking about something a little different than I actually normally do. We're talking about dietitian, nutrition, food, and how food fuels the body, how important food is. This is coming out around a great time, the holiday season. Of course, it's coming out out after Christmas, but before New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We talk about this with Jamie today, about how important the holiday is, about how you shouldn't skip meals or how you shouldn't limit how much you eat on the holiday. It is important to treat yourself once in a while. We do also talk about eating disorders right at the end. And I think this is very important for all coaches to listen to and understand. Also for fellow teammates. We talk about some of the signs and how you can help someone struggling with an eating disorder. And this is so important and valuable, especially in today's world where eating disorders are known of, but they aren't discussed fully and fully understood. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Jamie Cooper. Jamie has worked in many different roles involving helping others with dietitian and nutrition. She is a dietitian nutrition coach and mainly works with female soccer players. Jamie helps to make sure players are fully fueled and make good food choices. So Jamie, I'm wondering if you'd like to add anything else or talk about what got you to where you are today. Yeah, well, first off, Anna, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, I think you know, where I I didn't realize I wanted to become a dietitian for a really long time. I had always loved, I've always loved food. Um, I love cooking. I love thinking about food. It just makes me really happy. Um, But it was during high school and college. My dad had a heart attack when I was a sophomore in high school. And I believe it was a, I was a sophomore or junior in college that was his second heart attack. Um, and so he's had dietitians that have worked with him and I was actually on track to become a physical therapist. And he kind of pushed me towards thinking about becoming a registered dietitian. I was like, well, that, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like I want to help people. Um, and I can do that talking about food. Um, so that kind of started my trajectory of becoming a dietitian and, I love working with athletes, specifically soccer players. Um, and because female soccer players are just a bunch of badasses, I want to work with them. Um, and I want to help to promote and, you know, push the women's game. So on this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Ooh, I like this question. Um, I think the beautiful game is, uh, you know, it's something that brings a lot of cultures together. Um, Food to me is a way for me to experience culture. And soccer is one of those that cultures come together. War-torn countries come together and play the game. And it's where a lot of commonalities uh, come together. And so I think that that's beautiful in the fact that, you know, you can have differences in a lot of things and still 
be related, you know, be relatable to someone else. So that's what I, that's what I think. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Um, respect. I think, um, I, I have been a player. I have been a referee. So I have experience on the other side of receiving some really nasty stuff. Um, and so I think what makes it beautiful is when everybody, fans, players, coaches, referees, like we all can respect the game and what it does for us and brings us a whole lot of joy. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Mm, I like this. Um, I think, you know, we can be really hard on ourselves and the beauty of it is that there's never an end goal. You know, we're always wanting to, we always want to get better. And if we, if we have an end goal in mind, it means that, you know, I don't know, like that's just, that's just a journey that really shouldn't end even when you are done playing because it's always evolving. And, you know, I think that that's, that when we, when we can take it as a journey and not as a destination, um, you know, we can keep it a beautiful game. So one of my first questions was going to be asking why you got into dietitian, but you kind of already talked about that, but you had mentioned refereeing. Why did you decide to referee? Uh, it's a way, it was a way for me to stay in the game. Um, at that point, I, I was in my, I was trying to really develop my professional career as a dietitian, um, which meant that that took a lot of time away from me training. Um, cause I was playing semi-professional at the time and I just, I couldn't balance the two. So refereeing allowed me to still be able to contribute to the game. Um, it allowed me to keep up, you know, my fitness and, you know, I was able to see it from a completely different perspective and not going to lie. It was hard. Um, but you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that I encourage players, parents, especially to become referees because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the parents are yelling, but they don't understand what it's like to actually referee a game. Exactly. Exactly. So moving on a little bit, I was just really curious about that. <laughs> How does playing in the past help you almost to relate to the people that you help to train in dietitian nutrition? Yeah, that was, that's a good question. So I think it's really important that, you know, I understand what my athletes are going through because especially if, you know, you're going through training and, and you're just feeling kind of sluggish and, you know, you're going from school to training to another training. Like I get that because I've been there. And so when I was younger, I didn't have access to, to any nutrition information other than like little tidbits here and there. Now you all have bukus of access. And sometimes that can be kind of be a bad thing because there's too much information. And so, you know, why I think it's important because I get, I understand where you all come from and I can help to make that 
you know, those inform that information just be a little bit more um, easily digestible, you know, and more applicable to you as an individual. So what is the system you've created to help your athletes? Yeah. So I have, currently I have a six month program and I've been toying with some other ideas of like group coaching. Um, but right now I take my individual athletes and what I do is we really work to build really solid habits. So we address sleep, we address stress, we get to nutrition, but usually that's kind of towards the something that, um, I throw on you from the beginning, but I like to see where my athletes are, you know, what I'm working with. And then we tweak because not everyone needs to have these drastic changes, but also, um, you know, everybody's an individual. So I don't give out these standard meal plans for you to follow because that doesn't, that doesn't honor you as an individual. Like you like what you like, you have cultural preferences. Your parents make food that you like that probably no one else has experienced. Um, so I take those things into account as well as, you know, your busy schedule. How can players make good meal decisions? That is a tough question um, because, like I said, I think that there's a lot of nutrition noise um, that makes it difficult for players to, to make food choices that, that actually could help them more than certain foods. So like a lot of people think eating healthy, you know, that, that buzzword healthy is what's going to help them perform better. And when I've asked a lot of my players, what's healthy, they talk to me about salads and things that, you know, are fantastic, but they don't have a lot of calories, meaning it doesn't give your body a whole lot of energy to be able to use man, it's tough uh, because carbohydrates really are going to be that number one fuel source. And there's a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety around them. Um, and so I like to tell all my players, like that's, that's number one. If we're going to include anything, we're, we're going to include more carbohydrates rather than subtracting any foods. So that was a long answer, short answer. Um, you know, let's look at addition, adding more foods in rather than subtracting. I wanted to ask you about some of those food myths, some that should not be followed, like carbs being bad. What are some of those food myths that you tell your athletes? Well, carbs are pro carbs being bad is probably the number one. Um, and that kind of transcends into a bunch of different things like Gatorade is bad. Don't drink sugary sports drinks and, you know, busting that myth, carbs are your number one fuel source. Your body utilizes those so quickly, thankfully, because our bodies don't store carbohydrates very well. So we only store so much. So we have to keep replenishing that. And that means you got to eat more carbs. Um, so does that mean you eat a piece of cake right before the game? No, 
but we could still fit that into, you know, a player's, a player's diet, but we would look at some other types of carbs so that that player can, can really perform to their max. Other myths um, would probably be, let's see, you've got to drink your weight in water. That's a good one to have, but it doesn't, that's not the same for every single person. Um, so, you know, I think hydrating, um, and not being dehydrated is important. Um, also I think what I've heard from my athletes is I don't need to eat as much on rest days and that is often not the case. You might actually find that you need to eat more on rest days than you do on other days. So, you know, those are, those are just a handful of some of the myths. Um, people thinking that they need to be, you know, that their, their performance can be improved if they, you know, just had this much body fat, um, you know, is not as um, important in terms of soccer you know, maybe you move a little bit quicker, but it's, it's probably not enough. Like players can be all shapes and all sizes, um, and still be, you know, have certain strengths that make them unique versus another player. What can happen to players that eliminate carbs or eliminate calorie intake to lose that, to lose weight? They're going to be under fueled. Um, immediately they're probably going to start noticing dips in their energy levels um, over time doing that enough uh, they're going to start seeing their performance overall getting worse they're more prone to injuries um, a good indication for female athletes is miss like missing periods or having irregular periods that's an indication that a player isn't eating um isn't eating enough and that can kind of be masked by um some you know being if you're on birth control or something for various reasons even guys can do that they can experience those things obviously without the the menstrual cycle you're not going to be able to to play as sharply, like your brain's going to be foggy. Um, you're not going to be able to make those passes, um, as crisp. So those are some of the, some of the things that I look out for because, um, injury, like increased injury risk is huge for players that are not eating enough and they may blame it on something else, but if they're constantly injured and they're not recovering really well, then they should be looking at food. How often do players actually go into games not fully fueled because they aren't educated on what is fully fueled? You know, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can answer that um, with a certain number. I feel like a lot of players, they may not be intentionally trying to not eat enough, but they may be unintentionally doing that. And it kind of brings me back to one of the first points, like, eating healthy is fantastic, but if it's low calorie, um, it's, you're eating a lot of low calorie that still is not going to be giving you enough energy, 
um, to even cover, you know, your your basic body functions, let alone, you know, you're asking it to go train, you know, seven times a week and play four games, you know? So I think a lot of people do it unintentionally and that's hard for people to recognize when they are not fueling as best as they could. So during this holiday season, of course, this is being released after Christmas, but it's still kind of the holiday season. How can players still make good meal decisions? Yeah, don't skip meals. Um, so if you're, you know, I know we haven't we haven't hit Christmas yet, but tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Um, I want all my players and everyone that's listening. That would be a time for them to still eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then for you know Christmas Day or any major holiday day. It's business as usual, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, And especially on holiday days, those are foods that you may not normally have around the house. So if you're going to choose between foods that you normally have and the foods that you don't normally see, go ahead and eat the foods that you don't normally see because you're going to have the other foods on a more regular basis. So enjoy those foods, include them, even if it's, you know, two or three pies, it doesn't mean you have to eat all the pies if you if you wanted just to try them. Um, but it is important, don't skip meals because that causes you to want to overeat when that meal comes around. So we want to be able to enjoy each meal knowing that your body still needs a lot of food, even on the days that you're resting. So you talk about overeating. Oftentimes we we've already been talking about undereating, but so why do players overeat sometimes? Yes. Yeah, so players tend to overeat um, when they have restricted from certain foods. So let's say desserts. I get this all the time. I like people like to think that I want to hear that you're not eating a dessert. Um, but they're like, I don't want to ever eat a dessert again. I hope to eliminate them. And what that does is it causes you to have this all or nothing mentality. And so say you've restricted from that cake or those cookies. Well, that's kind of what you end up focusing on. And you're like, well, I'll I'll try to eat something else. I'm going to maybe have some yogurt. Um, I'll maybe have, you know, something else. And in the back of your mind, you're still wanting that cake or those cookies. So when you finally get them, you're, you're like, I don't know when I'm going to have this again, but I've got to eat as much as I can. And you end up overeating, which then causes your stomach to not feel very good. You don't feel very good about what happened. There might be feelings of guilt. Um, And so that cycle you know, that all or nothing mentality can be really, really detrimental for anybody, not even soccer players. It affects everybody. Um, So that's kind of how overeating generally happens is from restriction. How can people almost control that little voice in their head telling them to keep eating because they may not get that soon? Hmm. So I think... Um, when someone doesn't have, you know, 
I think that mindset comes from that cycle of restricting that food and then overeating it. So when, when anybody starts to normalize the fact that you can have this food at any time. So what I've done with some players, and this takes, this takes time and, you know, it's, it's interesting because Anna, you don't drive yet. You're, you're, I'm 15, right? You're 15. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, um, a new car. Like when you've, when you've, when your parents have gotten a new car, um, you're in there, you like smell the new car. It feels like you're starting to feel how it drives all those things. Like your senses are really heightened. If you, if your parents have had the car for a few years, like you don't even think about that anymore, right? Like you don't even notice how it drives, how it smells, unless it's probably filled with soccer cleats. Like you don't really notice those things. And that's the same with food. When we allow food, um, like I've had a, I've had an athlete eat that forbidden food every single day. And what it ended up doing was causing that athlete to not want it anymore. Like it's, it's shininess, it's newness wore away. And so it wasn't special anymore. And food, as much as I love it, like it's not special. It's not a reward, even if it's a brownie or whatever, like an apple, I, I'm going to put it on the same level as a cookie. So when, when people can get there, that's when they can kind of talk themselves through like, okay, I can have this whenever I want. I'm not restricting myself from it. And then you start to be able to pay attention to what you're actually in the mood for and what sounds good to you and what's going to make you feel good. How important is it that sometimes cravings are followed and sometimes you allow yourself for a little bit of a treat? Yeah. So, um, food is fuel, but few food is also comfort. You know, we think of when we think of spending time with our families for the holidays, there's certain there, when we think about it, food memories are often one of the first that pop up. And so it is, it is very, it is okay. I want to normalize. It's okay to be eating foods for comfort. Emotional eating is okay because, um, it is important to know and to be able to enjoy those foods. The problem when emotional eating becomes something that should be, um, looked at a little bit further is when that's our only coping skill to stress. So emotional eating is just one tool to use when we're feeling stress or anxiety, but it can't be our only thing. So journaling, listening to music, hanging out with family, that kind of stuff um, is really important. Um, but yeah, normalizing emotional eating, you can enjoy that stuff and move on, you know? Oh, a while back, you had mentioned dehydration, and I know I am often dehydrated, especially when spending time at home. How do you encourage athletes to stay hydrated? Yeah, this one is is honestly really hard for myself. Um, I often catch myself having not had anything to drink, so I have to be very intentional about it. Um, and so 
you know, one of the techniques that I have, I do with myself and with, um, athletes is, you know, make sure that the first thing you do in the morning is drink some water, drink a glass of water. And then, you know, at mealtimes, you know, drink a glass of water with your meals. It doesn't need to be before it, um, but drink it with your meals. I like to have, um, a cool, like glass, like I have a large, it's not a Yeti, but it's like, or like a 32 ounce. Um, and I find myself being able to drink more because I'm able to keep my drinks colder. So that's just one of, that's a preference for me. Um, but definitely, you know, first thing in the morning, just grab a glass of water. What happens to a player that goes into a game dehydrated? Pretty similar to not eating enough to begin with. Um, you know, it can really impair your judgment. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to be, you're not going to be thinking about, um, you know, making smart decisions on the field. Um, you know, you're, you're really, you know, you're going to be end up, you're going to be more dehydrated after the game because you're, you're sweating more. Um, so that kind of depends on a whole lot of factors with like temperature and kind of your individual sweat rate, but, you know, it can really impact your performance and, you know, that on top of not eating well is not a good combo. I wanted to move on and talk shortly about eating disorders. So starting off, what are some of the signs of eating disorders? Oh, this one is a good question because, you know, what we typically think of um, is that, you know, people, it doesn't just happen in females. It doesn't just happen in, in thin players. Um, it can happen to all body types, all races and all cultures. Um, so, you know, I think that players that may have preoccupation with their weight or food or calories. So like they're thinking about food all the time, but they're not eating. Um, you may find that uh, your teammate may be uncomfortable eating around, you know, the rest of you. And they may not say that they may just, you know, kind of like say, I'm not hungry. Um, they are, may avoid social events involving food. So, I mean, right now in the pandemic, it's probably not a whole lot of like huge social gatherings, but, um, you know, that's something to look out for. Um, if they're skipping meals, you know, that's a huge one, whether or not you're an athlete or not. Um, and then any like fluctuations in weight, you're not going to know that probably, um, versus maybe a parent who's seeing it. Um, we mentioned earlier, you know, irregular periods or, um, what's called amenorrhea. So it's just the absence of a menstrual cycle is a huge indication. 
this one's kind of a sensitive one, but, um, you know, if they're getting like, they have dry skin, they've got hair loss, they're getting sick frequently. Um, they may be someone who has lactose intolerance, gluten intolerance. They may be constipated. There's a lot of, there's a lot of signs that I'm more likely to see as a dietitian than say you as a teammate or as a parent, there, there may be some other things that you'll be able to see. How can coaches and teammates help a fellow teammate that's struggling with an eating disorder? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's really important to not make assumptions, but not be afraid to ask questions. So it is, it is not something that um, is an easy conversation to have with a player, um, especially as a coach. I think coaches probably don't want to step on another parent's, you know, on, on the toes of a, of a child. Um, so I would encourage them to talk to the parents and just kind of see if the parents will watch out for any certain red flags. Um, and as a teammate, you know, y'all have a better relationship with, you know, with each other. You're probably just more likely to be able to have tougher discussions, but let it be from a place of compassion and love that you have some concerns and you just want to be supportive. And that person may not be ready for it, but it kind of gets them, you know, at least understanding that there are people that care. Um, and, you know, when that conversation is had, and that person is ready um, to really talk to a team of eating disorder uh, professionals, not just a dietitian. It needs to be like a doctor, um, a therapist. There's, there's a bunch of people that really kind of help and provide wraparound services for that player. Cause it's, it's a lot needs. A, we need a lot. We need to support them um, as best as we can. You had mentioned a sign of eating disorders is skipping meals, but how can just skipping a few meals here and there almost develop into an eating disorder? I think it's different for everybody. Um, skipping meals, um, you know, how that can escalate is they may get validation from coach or teammate saying how well they played or how good they look. And then that player is like, well, this is, this is working. Um, and so while we want to encourage players to play well, I am truly against um, any comments on anyone's body, whether that's, you know, well-intentioned or not, you just don't know why someone is doing what they're doing. And that's not for us to, you know, to kind of push them towards it. Um, there are other ways that we can compliment someone that doesn't have to do with their appearance. Moving on a little bit, I want to ask you about your social media because I actually found you just through my Instagram explore page. So all of that time on Instagram paid off actually, <laughs> but 
how valuable is your social media in terms of keeping it interesting so your players can find your resources? Yeah, um, you know, personally, I'm not a huge fan of social media, but I like Instagram because I think it can really help my players to be able to get bite-sized information in a way that isn't going to overwhelm them they can start to see, I've had a lot of people that don't even work with me that have told me how much it's helped them. And that's, that really is, you know, a huge purpose of mine to be able to still make an impact. Um, you know, even with players that are, are not my clients. So yeah, social media has been, been really good for, you know, my middle school and my high school athletes. So I was doing my social media stalking and I read that you had torn your ACL. So can you talk about your struggles with that experience and that massive injury? Yeah. Um, You know, I, I think that at some point in our soccer careers, there is something big that happens. And for me, um, I'm not the only player that's ever torn their ACLs. Um, and I'm, I'm one of, you know, I've only done it one and a half times because it was a partial tear the first time, but going through that first tear in a second tear, um, I, my world collapsed. And so I realized that my whole identity was wrapped up in soccer and that my career is like, what does it look like? So I had a lot of questions for myself. Um, and so I actually struggled with depression. Um, and at first I didn't realize what was happening, um, but it was really bad. Um, and so at one point in my soccer career, I actually considered like leaving the team um, and you know just being a regular student because I was just really, really low and couldn't get out of it. So thankfully, um, you know, my dad, my parents were really, really supportive and I had amazing roommates and teammates who really cared for me um, and really supported me in going to therapy to talk about, um, you know, what I was going through and getting on medication to be able to kind of helped me get out of that. And so, you know, I learned so much about myself. I learned, you know, how I can help people now after having gone through that, both on the mental side of it, but also physically going through an ACL recovery is like no walk in the park for sure. It was painful. Going off of that mental health side, how can someone support someone going through a rough patch in their mental health? Listen, listening is one of the, is one of the few things that I'm, I'm really hearing from people right now and people don't want answers. They want you to listen and just know that you know, you can't sympathize completely with someone. So empathy is something that you can still feel someone's pain. um, And then just listen to them. Because if someone is upset, 
they're probably not upset about, you know, something else that they went off on. It's probably something a little bit deeper and they just don't know how to get the words out. And, you know, even if they did, they just want someone to hear it. So listening is my absolute number one. It makes everybody feel better. I think we've made it to our final question. And this is a question question I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Ooh, great question. Um, I think for me, I, and, and in what I do, I really want players to like, I really want them to be their best and to be able to enjoy the time that they're on the field. And that means that, you know, you're, you're eating foods that you enjoy. You are, um, you're playing well, you're recovering well. I mean, I, I don't want, I don't want any of my athletes to, to, to know that they couldn't do what they set out to do. Um, you know, they're going to have to work for it. And I want to be able to be supportive and be there for them and to do it in a judgment-free way so that they feel safe. Because that's important for me, for my athletes, that they feel safe knowing that, you know, they can come as they are and I'm going to be there to support them so that they can then be their best. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Anna. I've really enjoyed this. Food is fuel. One thing Jamie said many, many times today And of course, it's true. Oftentimes, we listen to the rumors about how carbs are bad or you shouldn't have sugary sports drinks. And carbs, like like Jamie said, are one of the most important parts of a female athlete's diet and how they really fuel the body and get ready for the game or the training. We also talked about the eating disorder part and signs of eating disorders and how to help players struggling with eating disorders. Now, if you're interested in that, I really hope you stay stay tuned for my further episodes. I'm really considering spending a whole episode just on eating disorders and maybe even a full series because I feel that's something I actually don't know too much about as a teammate or as a sibling or going to school with someone struggling with eating disorders. And I feel like that's something that we all need to learn from and that we can all benefit from to help others in our lives. I hope you enjoyed the episode and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful.